This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, it is the month of August, which means I have a brand new special report for you. The August 2023 special report is titled Cash Strategies. One of the first things we are all rightfully taught is that we all need cash for a rainy day because life happens and we need to be prepared. And in this month's special report, we'll look at specific cash management strategies. To get your report, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. And when you go to the website requestyourreport.com and request your August 2023 special report, I will send it to you along with a copy of my best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing. I'll also include a copy of the little black book on social security maximization. So a whole box of resources being offered absolutely free this month. All you need to do, again, to get all that information is visit the website requestyourreport.com. Let me start this week's program by asking you a simple question. How many of you listening to the program are in agreement that many U.S. consumers are strapped? I think the evidence I'm going to share with you in this particular segment points to the fact that the United States, despite what the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, recently said, I believe that the economy is heading for a recession for largely that reason. The U.S. economy, as many of you know, is dependent on consumer spending. The U.S. economy is more than 70% dependent on consumer spending. And when the consumer can't spend, the economy suffers. It really is that simple. We do not have a manufacturing economy for the most part. We have a consumer spending-driven economy. We have a consumption economy. And I've been making the case for quite a long time now here on the program that the U.S. consumer is stretched to the point that the economy is being affected and very soon noticeably affected. Now, just a moment ago, I mentioned what the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, said recently. He noted that the Fed is no longer forecasting a recession. He did this at the same time as the Fed increased interest rates yet again, ostensibly to fight inflation. But rather than calling it a recession, Mr. Powell says they are now forecasting a noticeable slowdown, whatever that means. Bottom line is, whatever you call it, consumers are suffering, and I believe a recession is inevitable. Now, the first bit of data I'd like to provide you with on today's program is that after adjusting for inflation and taxes, the income of U.S. consumers has fallen more than 9% since April of 2020. So if you're listening to this program today, you have 9% less in real income than you had just over three years ago. Now, that is extremely noteworthy to say the least. Michael Snyder in an op-ed that he recently posted said this, on the inflation issue, household income adjusted for inflation and taxes is running some 9.1% below where it was in April of 2020. So how are consumers making ends meet? 
I should say, how are many consumers making ends meet? The answer is that, to some extent, they're turning to their credit cards. They're taking on debt. This is very apparent when you take a look at the statistics as far as consumer credit card debt. Consumer credit card debt at this point is now over $1 trillion for the first time ever. This is from a CNBC article published on August 8th. This article reported that total credit card indebtedness increased by $45 billion in the April to June period. That was a rise of more than 4%. And now credit card debt stands collectively at over a trillion dollars for the first time ever. And that's according to the New York Federal Reserve. Now, along with that, it's not surprising that delinquency rates are going up on credit cards. The Fed's measure of credit card debt 30 or more days late climbed from 6.5% in the first quarter of this year to 7.2% in the second quarter of this year. That's more than a 10% increase in credit card delinquency rates, and that's the highest rate since the first quarter of 2012. So credit card delinquencies are now higher than at any time in the last 11 years. Now, interestingly, it's not just credit card debt that's rising. Many American consumers seem to be turning to any kind of debt they can take on to help make ends meet. Total household debt edged higher in that April to June quarter by about 16 billion. Total household debt now stands at more than $17 trillion. That's also an all-time record. Now, to add to the pain, credit card interest rates are now extremely high. Credit card interest rates now, according to Snyder's piece, now average more than 20%, and he cites bank rate as a source. Now, another sign that consumers are stressed and another sign that I believe we are headed for an economic slowdown in this consumer spending dependent economy is that when you look at how many emergency withdrawals have been taken from 401k accounts, it's alarming. Emergency withdrawals are up. I should say emergency withdrawals from 401k plans are now up 35% year over year. This is from Mr. Snyder's article as well. More Americans are tapping their 401k accounts because of financial distress. He cites Bank of America data. The number of people who made a hardship withdrawal during the second quarter surged from the first three months of the year to 15,950. That's an increase of 36% from the second quarter of 2022, just a year ago. So here we have withdrawal from retirement accounts surging up 36% year over year. We have credit card balances now over a trillion dollars for the very first time. Household debt now stands at more than $17 trillion for the very first time. And we have home buyers, particularly first time home buyers that are now being priced out of the market. Just this past week, the average interest rate on a home mortgage surged to 8%. 
And consumers that can't afford a house at 8% interest rates with already high real estate prices are also finding they're not getting much of a reprieve when it comes to renting for a while. Rents are also increasing rapidly. Average rent-to-income ratio has now exceeded 30%. Now, think about what this means for a minute. That means the average rent that a person pays is more than 30% of their income. I want to give you a quote from Fox Business here. The nationwide average rent-to-income ratio declined slightly in the first half of the year declining to 30.2% from a high of 30.8% last year. So for the last year, the rent-to-income ratio has been between 30 and 31%. And although there was a recent decline, that decline, that decline rather, is very nominal. So we have a median income renter in the United States now paying more than 30% of their income for an average priced apartment. This is not to get a luxury apartment. This is not a penthouse suite. This is average. Now, historically speaking, renters are considered to be burdened if rent consumes 30% or more of their gross or pre-tax income. Lou Chen, an economist at Moody's Analytics, specializing in real estate, said this, quote, What that means is, by and large, the U.S. is still rent burdened because we are officially above that 30% rent burden threshold. We're seeing levels of relief, but also combined with the inflationary and pressure elsewhere, so we're still spending a little higher on the necessities, on food and energy, along with other necessary spending. So I believe we are going to see a recession. I believe that that will also mean that Stocks decline in the fourth segment of today's program. I'm going to give you the forecast of a very, very reputable forecaster, Mr. Michael Burry. But as I close this segment, let me remind you that we do have available for you the August 2023 special report, Cash Strategies. Visit requestyourreport.com and I'll send you the report along with all the bonus information I mentioned at the beginning of the segment. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Dr. A. Gary Schilling. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is Dr. A. Gary Schilling. Longtime listeners will recognize uh, Gary as a uh, longtime Forbes columnist. He is the founder and president of A. Gary Schilling & Company. He is also the publisher of the Insight Newsletter, which is a monthly newsletter that is more like a magazine filled with uh, a lot of terrific, terrific information. If you'd like to learn more, about his newsletter or get a free copy, you can go to 888-346-7444, which is his office phone, 888-346-7444. And uh, Gary would be glad to share with you a complimentary copy of the newsletter. And Gary, welcome back to the program. Glad to be back with you, Dennis, as usual. Well, Gary, let's uh, just jump in here. Uh, give our listeners your assessment as to the health of the U.S. economy. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a very good question because you can read that two ways. Uh, if you look at what a lot of people are concentrating on, they're they're looking at at uh, employment, which is is weakening, but it hasn't fallen apart. They're looking at stocks, which seem to just keep going up regardless of what happens. Uh, they're looking at uh, enthusiasm. Uh, they're looking at investors that 
think that we're in for a soft landing, that the recession is is simply a thing of the past or it never happened. And then you can turn it around and look at the normal leading indicators, uh, the inverted yield curve leading indicators. And, of course, you look at what the Federal Reserve is doing. And what the Fed is doing now is, is uh, in, in the past, has always led to a recession. And so you really have a, a, a very interesting dichotomy here. And, of course, what's fascinating about this is that a lot of investors simply think that the Fed doesn't matter. Um, now, I'll bet on the Fed any day. Uh, and I think the Fed, under Chairman Powell, is particularly zealous to bring inflation down to their 2% target. It's it's come down, but it's about 3% in, in the service area, which they're particularly concerned at. It's running about 4%. Uh, so you've really got a battle of investors versus the Fed. And say, I'll, I'll bet on the Fed. So, Gary, let, let's just uh, to take that a step further. Uh, where do you think the Fed is in the tightening uh, process here? And did you see more rate increases this year? Or do you think we've seen the, the, the top here? I think we've got more rate increases. The, the, the Fed would obviously like to back off. They, they don't go out to deliberately precipitate a recession. Uh, but their concern is inflation, and they worry that if they back off prematurely, then, as we've seen in the past, the 1970s were uh, certainly a case in point, that then all hell breaks loose, and then they've really got to kill things uh, to to uh, convince uh, investors that they have teeth. Uh, so I think they really want to make sure that they kill inflation. So I, I don't think they're through raising rates. And, of course, as long as as uh, investors are pushing up particularly stocks, uh, the, the, the Fed, I think, is determined to really say, no, <laughs> we're going to deal with this. And until you believe uh, that we are, uh, you're really just going to have to suffer the consequences. So Gary, when when you when you take a look at just the the the, the general health of the economy, I, I made a note here that uh, credit card debt now for consumers has topped a trillion dollars for the first time, and the U.S. economy, as we've discussed in the past, is very dependent upon consumer spending. Uh, isn't the American consumer at this point pretty strapped? And 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 what's your take there? It it's a uh, it's a very interesting dichotomy, Dennis, because if you look at all the extra saving that was built up because of the stimulus back in the in the in the COVID uh, years, you know, there was a tremendous amount of money that was pumped into the economy uh, by the administration and Congress, and also by the Federal Reserve, and that really pushed up uh, savings. And there's still a fair amount of that around, but at the same time, as you point out, we're seeing credit card debt, a trillion dollars. Uh, we're seeing people who are borrowing because they really have no choice. And with credit card rates around 20%, uh, obviously they're pretty desperate. So I think you've got a, a, a real dichotomy that, yes, there is, uh, there's still a lot of cash out there, but it's not in the hands of everybody. It's not evenly, evenly dis distributed, and that's what makes things uh, difficult to analyze. But I think that the big run-up in credit card debt is telling us that a lot of people are really strapped. And, of course, 
we've got uh, an event coming up here in October when students have to start repaying debt. And that, as you know, that was a result of the Supreme Court decision, which uh, which uh, really negated what the administration wanted to do. So you've got a situation there where you've already, <clears throat> excuse me, you got a lot of people with serious debt, and it's going to get uh, it's going to get even more severe this fall. Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm chatting today with Dr. A. Gary Schilling. His website is agaryshilling.com. He is also the publisher of the Insight Newsletter, and you can get a free copy by calling his office, 888-346-7444. And, uh, Gary, uh, how impactful, the the student loan uh, moratorium expiring, to use those terms, how impactful is that going to be uh, on the overall economy, in your view? Well, it's it, again, it it makes a great deal of difference. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of the debt is by uh, <clears throat> run up by uh, graduate students, by people who have good jobs, who do have the ability to uh, service the debt. Uh, but there are a lot of people, and you don't, we don't really have a good handle on the numbers as to who's in what camp. But there are obviously a lot of people out there who who uh, who do not have the resources to service that debt and and what it means is that they're going to have to cut back on their spending uh, tremendously uh and and as you probably know uh federal student debt is is not uh is not subject to bankruptcy you can't go bankrupt to get rid of of a federally uh federal student debt a lot of debt you can uh, credit cards and so on, but you can't do that. It's not it's not legal with federally funded student debt, which is the vast majority of it. So, uh, so you've got a lot of people there who are really stressed. Well, and and Gary, I, along those same lines, I, I recently read that uh, adjusting for inflation and taxes, uh, the income of U.S. consumers since April of 2020, since you know the COVID years, as you say, has fallen more than nine percent. Uh, do you agree with that? And uh, do you think that trend is going to reverse? Well, you, we have had lately. Uh, I mean, you had a long period there when, when, uh, when. Wage increases were simply not keeping up with inflation. Now, what's happened in the last four or five months is that inflation has come down, uh, and so even though the rate of increase in in uh, wages has not picked up, uh, still it means that for the last four or five months that people have had actually positive uh, real wages, real meaning inflation-adjusted uh, but that does not mean that they're they're back in high clover. Uh, it means that they're not racking up uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot more problems than they had before. Uh, but there still are a lot of, of difficulties from the past. Well, Gary, let's shift gears a minute and 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 talk about stocks. Uh, before we started to record this interview, uh, we chatted a bit and. Uh, I think I made the comment that uh, stocks uh, certainly aren't reacting the way one might expect when you look at uh, you know just the, the fundamental data. Uh, give us your assessment as to the uh, you know major U.S. stock market indices. And uh, I know when we talked before, I think it's been about five months or so, you were uh, not uh, really bullish on stocks. Uh, so, so what's your forecast, and have you changed your mind? 
No, I I, I think stocks are are still very vulnerable. Um, they have had a uh, a big run. Um, I don't think it is supported by uh, what you call the fundamentals, by earnings growth, by economic expansion, by income. Uh, but uh, you know the way I put this, and I've been saying this for. About 30 years, markets can remain irrational a lot longer than I can remain solvent. And, <laughs> and uh, you simply have to, uh, you know, my, my approach to this is you simply got to be on the sidelines. You know, you just you just say, hey, I I, I just don't want to be involved. I don't I don't believe it's valid. I think we're going to see some very big corrections. Uh, stocks last year. Uh, Early in the year, they declined about 20%. I'm looking at the S&P 500 index. Uh, then you had a rally. It got back to uh, within about uh, five or ten percent of its all-time peak. Lately, it's been a little slot. It's been a little sloppy. Uh, but I think we could have from here a 30% decline in the S&P 500, and that would be in keeping with my earlier forecast that the peak to trough decline. Uh, would probably run about 40%. The, the first half of that last year was really the Fed uh, tightening and uh, and and pushing up interest rates. Uh, the second half, which I think we're getting into now, is the effects of of uh, weak corporate profits, weak corporate sales, and and that means that stocks, uh, in relative to earnings, uh, not only reported earnings but future earnings, are very expensive. Well, I am chatting today with Dr. A. Gary Schilling. He is the founder and president of A. Gary Schilling Company. Uh, you can learn more about his work at agaryshilling.com. Uh, Gary also publishes Insight Newsletter, which is a uh, terrific publication. He would be glad to share a complimentary copy with our listeners. To get your free copy, give his office a call at 888-346-7444. The number again is 888-346-7444. And I will return after these words and continue my conversation with Dr. A. Gary Schilling. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you're listening to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with returning guest Dr. A. Gary Schilling. Gary is the publisher of Insight Newsletter, which is uh, really more of a magazine every month uh, that provides you uh, uh, current economic data and Gary's forecasts. He has been uh, uncannily accurate through the years, and he's happy to share a free copy of that newsletter uh, with you, if you'd like to get it, call the office, 888-346-7444. That is Gary's office at 888-346-7444. So, Gary, as we concluded the last segment, uh, you were uh, forecasting that perhaps we could see a decline of up to another 30% here in uh, the S&P 500. When you look at certain sectors of the market, we've certainly seen, uh, for example, uh, oil prices now start to, to, to rebound. Are, is there any sectors uh, of the S&P that you uh, might be bullish on? Uh, not really, Dennis. Uh, matter of fact, one of the things that we've looked at and reported on in our monthly newsletter many times over the years is the uh, 10 components of the S&P 500 index, and they publish 10 components, uh, consumer staples, uh, consumer discretionary spending, energy, you go down the list, there are 10 major sectors. And if you look at, at past uh, 
bear markets associated with recessions, and I think that's what we're looking at here, uh, you've never had uh, any of those that actually rose. Now, some of them have done better than others. Uh, uh, and, and the ones that you would expect, the so-called defensive spots, utilities, uh, consumer, uh, consumer, uh, consumer staples uh, tend to hold up better. Uh, and and uh, 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 but they have they have never actually risen. In other words, you may lose less money uh, if you're in these defensive stocks, but you're, you, the odds of making money. Uh, at least if you buy the broad segments, uh, it, it, it just has not happened historically. So, Gary, I want to go back to the, the you mentioned, uh, you know, a, a stock decline associated with a recession. In the first segment, you talked about uh, the inverted yield curve. Uh, has there ever been an, a, an inverted yield curve that did not lead to a recession? Uh no, not not really. I mean, you've had uh uh no, I don't think I don't think you have, not in the post World War II era. Uh, every time you've had an inverted yield curve, you've gotten a recession. Now the timing uh is uh, can vary all over the lot. It can be anywhere from, you know, a month or two to maybe 6 months or a year later. Uh but when you get an inverted yield curve historically, uh you've always had a recession. So, assuming we are going to have a recession here, uh, how deep do you think it might be? Well, I don't see any reason why it's going to be deeper than normal. And the the average recession in the post-World War II period uh, takes real inflation-adjusted GDP uh, down by about 3%. You know, 3% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're in an economy which is geared to growth, and of course, three percent and the total means that some sectors are a lot weaker. Housing we've already seen uh, very much very sensitive to interest rates, and that's declined a lot more than than three percent. And some of these interest rate sensitive areas, uh, consumer uh, uh, durable goods, things that are postponable, uh, they they tend to do a lot worse. But on average, on average. Uh, the economy peaked or trough declines about 3%. And I don't see a reason why it would be more than that. Now, if you go back to the, uh, if you go back to the, uh, the Great Recession, uh, the, one, the one that we had, uh, uh, you know, a, a decade ago, uh, there you had 4.5% real GDP decline, peaked or trough. That was a very, very serious one, and that was led by the collapse in subprime mortgages you know you had huge huge speculation a lot of people involved and you've had speculation this time uh it's it's been mainly in uh, the crypto uh crypto area and others uh but it it was it was never as widespread or as severe as it was in housing you know back in the days when when people could uh, borrow on houses and literally put nothing down and were assured they never have to put a nickel in because the house would appreciate so much they could refinance and take money out before the first mortgage payment was due. I mean, it, it was a wonderful free lunch era. Never, never land. The, the tooth fairy had arrived. Uh, <laughs> we don't have anything that severe right now, so I don't think we're going to have anything more than a uh, normal recession. But we we do we have had a lot of 
of uh, uh, speculation. We've seen some of it come unglued. Uh, you're well aware that early this year we had a bank, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, was a standout where they uh, really got nailed because uh, they had this huge inflow of deposits. All these all these people from these uh, uh, Silicon Valley deals, these venture capital deals, and they put it in. Uh, the, the deposits they put in in treasury obligations, nice, safe, and sound treasuries. Well, what happened was when the Fed raised interest rates, the value of those treasuries declined. Now, they don't have to mark them to market normally, but deposits started to flow out, so they had to mark them to market to, as they sold those treasuries, and, and that was the demise of Silicon Valley Bank and, and uh, a couple of others. So, you know, you, you really did you did have some imbalances there, and you never know what's going to come out of the woodwork. But I can't see anything right now that's going to rival what we saw in terms of the subprime mortgage collapse in the uh, uh, in in uh, you know ten years ago. Well, Gary, you mentioned uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and then of course there was Signature Bank and First Republic. Uh, oh, recent, yeah. Recently, we have a, a Kansas Heartland Tri-State, a regional bank closed by FDIC. Do you think these uh, these banking issues are going to continue? Uh, and if so, uh, to, to, to what extent do you think it'll uh, it'll it'll kind of be a canary in a coal mine, if you will, that that we're, we are headed for a recession? Well, yeah, it, it it is, Dennis. I mean, it, it's not a run on the banks in the 1930s sense because the Fed, the FDIC, the other regulators have basically bailed them out. They they they've they 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 in other words they guaranteed all the deposits in those banks uh, silicon valley bank uh, signature bank etc uh but that doesn't mean you don't get the effects of that and what are the effects the effects are that the banks are very very scared they don't want to lend and of course depositors even though their deposits i think are are safe i think they'll get bailed out regardless they have pulled out money from banks, and they put it into uh, money market funds, into treasury securities. So you had a decline in in bank assets, uh, uh, the deposits, and you've had a bank decline in their liabilities, loans. They don't want to loan money; they're scared. So you've really had a very similar effect to the run on the bank. I call it a slow motion run on the banks, which is is silly much there. And as you point out. Uh, this this continues, so so you do have these effects. Gary, you mentioned housing, and uh, I'd love to get your forecast on housing. But uh, I wanted to get your take on this. It seems that you know with these artificially low interest rates, uh, and you had a lot of people refinance, and there's a a lot of people out there that have 30-year mortgages at even sub three percent, but certainly low three percent. Um, aren't those people kind of in housing jail? And, and didn't the Fed maybe uh, inadvertently kind of shrink the housing market? And this is a as housing slows, this is a problem of the Fed's making. Well, in a sense, it is because you know you know the Fed the Fed raised interest rates, and uh, now they did they did after the, uh, the 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 great recession uh 2008 financial crisis they did something they've never done before they favored housing they did that by buying mortgage backed securities normally they just buy treasuries uh to to support the economy and let the chips fall where they may but that was the first time ever as far as i as i 
no, where they supported a specific sector, housing, by buying mortgage-backed securities. But but they have since then been selling them off, and I I I don't think that they have any desire to step back in and support the housing market. Uh, you know, hey, if the world fell apart, you never you never know what they're going to do. But but uh, I I think unless you got very very severe situations, and it would take something like the uh, collapse in in the uh, uh, subprime mortgages uh, that we have. And I don't see anything on the horizon uh, that's likely to match that. So I rather suspect that we 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 won't see the Fed uh, doing much to bail out housing. And, and, and as you point out what's happening, you've got a lot of people who have very low, uh, low uh, uh, interest rate mortgages that they got uh, during the uh, post of uh, the post of uh, uh, financial crisis years, and that means that they don't want to sell their houses and buy other houses. You've had very low turnover in existing housing because then they'd have to take out another mortgage at a much higher rate. So you've had very little turnover in existing housing. It means that the strength in housing has been in new housing, and and builders have been active there, but but still, uh, new housing is only 15 or 20 percent of the total uh, normally, the rest is uh, is trading in existing housing. Uh, so the overall effect has been a fairly subdued housing sector. So what is your forecast for housing moving ahead, Gary? Uh, I don't think it's uh, I, I don't think it's going to be exuberant. I don't think it's going to collapse. Uh, I think it's going to be a fairly uh, fairly mundane sector from here on. I mean, there's always the argument that we don't have enough housing and so on and so forth. But, you know, that, that, hey, there's never enough, <laughs> there's enough, there's never enough uh, uh, Mercedes Benz around. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind having one or Rolls Royce. I mean, uh, you know, it, 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 that, that's, that's not a valid question. I mean, sure, if things were cheap enough, you know, when they say if, if, uh, uh, if if uh, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. <laughs> Very <laughs> old uh, saying. And and you know I I don't think it's 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 not a logical statement to say that uh, that there's there's a shortage of housing. Yeah, there's a shortage of housing at what people want to want to pay. Uh, but we're really the most overhoused country in the world. Uh, when you look at when you look at the uh, Square footage of housing per occupant, uh, we're very, uh, we're, we're very sparse. You got a lot of rooms relative to the number of people, and uh, and what happens? You know, you get you get you get rentals, uh, which which absorb the the difference, and and uh, uh, people and and people simply don't form families. I mean, to to. Uh, to, to form a, a, a household, you have to move into a separate dwelling unit. That's the way it's defined. A household is one or more people occupying a separate dwelling unit. That's the government's definition. Well, if people don't fe- feel they can afford a house, uh, they just don't move in together. And, of course, a lot of people are operating without without the benefit of clergy these days. So I don't know that that's really bothering them a great deal. Very different than when I was young and you were younger. Uh, but uh, that seems to be the style. Yeah, well, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Dr. A. Gary Schilling. 
The website is agaryshilling.com. You can get a free copy of Gary's Insight newsletter. I'd encourage you to do that. Give his office a call at 888-346-7444 and just request a copy of the Insight newsletter. Gary, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Appreciate the update. Love to have you back down the road. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Look forward to the next encounter, Dennis. Thanks a lot. We will return after these words. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, if you've not yet requested the special report for the month of August, I'd encourage you to do so. You can get your copy of the report by visiting requestyourreport.com. The August 2023 special report is titled Cash Strategies, and the report outlines several cash strategies for today's economic environment. When you request the report, I'll also send you a copy of my best-selling revenue sourcing book that contains a retirement planning strategy for today's economy. And I'll also include a copy of the book, The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. Uh, You'll get all that information by simply visiting requestyourreport.com and letting me know where you would like me to mail that information. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. Undoubtedly, Many of you listening to the program today have seen the movie, The Big Short. If you haven't seen the movie, I would encourage you to check it out. It is entertaining, and there is also uh, some educational content in there. But the the, the bottom line, the, the overview of the movie is that Michael Burry, who you might describe as a bit of an eccentric hedge fund manager, in 2005, Mr. Burry started to do some research on the housing market. And because of all the subprime loans that existed, he concluded that the market was extremely unstable. And he anticipated that the housing market would collapse. So Mr. Burry used a vehicle in the movie called a credit default swap, which is basically uh, a bet, uh, an insurance policy, if you will, that he paid premiums on that allowed him to profit if if the housing market declined. Now, his long-term bet on the housing market declining was more than a billion dollars. And every month, Mr. Burry, anticipating this housing collapse, would pay a premium. And his main client in the fund accused him of wasting capital and sued him because Mr. Burry limited withdrawals to preserve capital to be able to pay these premiums. Well, the market, the housing market did eventually collapse, and Mr. Burry's fund made about a 500% profit, and the client that sued him walked away with almost a cool half a billion dollars. So Mr. Burry has a pretty good track record when it comes to predicting where markets might go. Now, Market Insider recently reported that Mr. Burry has now placed bearish bets against the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. So he's betting on the market to decline. And certainly there are those out there that say Mr. Burry is going to be wrong. Mr. Burry has it wrong this time. There's always detractors. However, given his track record, one would have to give some credibility to the fact that Mr. Burry now has bet $1.6 billion on the market, the housing, the stock market rather, collapsing. 
Now, he made his bet on the housing market collapsing back around 2008, and now he's betting on the stock market collapsing. And you have to take a look at some of the conditions that exist today, and there are certainly some parallels to today's market to what existed in 2008. So, for example, commercial real estate is now falling in price at a very rapid pace. The residential housing market is quickly drying up. Uh, we have mortgage rates, as I indicated now, at almost 8%, which means that the payment on an average home has gone up about $1,000 a month in a little bit more than the last year. So how many people are going to be able to afford more than $1,000 a month for the same home? At the same time, as I pointed out in the first segment, we have rent to income ratios now exceeding 30%. So you certainly have the consumer now that is renting that is rent burdened. So bottom line is we have this housing market, whether you're buying or renting, housing has become extremely unaffordable. At the same time, we have inflation that is continuing to whittle away at the purchasing power of the average American. As I pointed out in the first segment, since April of 2020, the average American has, has lost more than 9% of real income. Now, Redfin recently, a, a real estate anal, uh, analysis company, recently reported that the percentage of teachers that can afford to buy a home close to the school that they work, where they work, has fallen to 12%. So only 12% of teachers can afford to buy a home near the school at which they work. Now that's down from 17% last summer and 30% in 2019. That is a rapid decline and that particular statistic is indicative as to how strapped US consumers actually are. It's for these reasons that I believe we will see a recession and I believe we will see stocks respond accordingly. And if you've got money in a 401k plan, if you've got money in an IRA plan and you aspire to a comfortable stress-free retirement, I would encourage you to get the box of resources, the box of information I'm offering uh, during the month of August. It's the cash strategies report. It is the revenue sourcing book and it is the little black book on social security maximization. I'll send it all to you by simply visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use, and I'll be back again next week.